some of the most successful people in this world, when you look at their history, and the reason why we do this podcast, this is the exact reason yeah. why we do this podcast, yeah. because people always see the end result. Now, you've become extremely successful in business, but could you imagine when you were working at Burger King that you would be sitting here right now? No chance. And, if, and, and I was, you know, I, I was in a hurry to get somewhere because I felt like, you know, that's what I should do and, and mm, where I should yeah. be. And honestly, if I had got here in my 20s, I would be an awful person. Mm. I, I couldn't have handled it. Yeah. Um, and so I think we get frustrated because we're not getting to where we want to get to fast enough, but we forget who we're becoming in the process. Yeah. And I think those experiences and working that hard um, meant that I value this a lot more. Mm. I don't take it for granted. And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. You see, we're a little light today. Yes. And it feels good, actually. We shed some fat. <laughs> we shed some fat. Ben Gibbs, our co-host, is, is not here today. Is this the very first episode since its inception that he has missed? I, I, no, he's missed another because we go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, he's missed one other. Um, but, yeah, this is... Yeah, usually only natural. Darren and I are allowed to miss, yeah. but uh, we gave him a free pass. He's uh, he's down on a work trip down in Houston, but uh, we have filled his seat and filled his seat well. Yes. 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 We uh, are joined by Chris Heaslip, a, a great friend of Darren and myself, uh, Ben as well, but yeah. uh, we've got a really, really cool story. Uh, we had uh, just not too long ago, Chris's CEO um, for LeaderOn, Matt, mm -hmm. and told told a great story of of his migration from uh, from New Zealand to Seattle, down to Texas, and and you know talked about his company Leader. Um, well, Chris mm -hmm. is is the man behind that idea with with your team, uh, but Chris <clears throat> being the chairman of the board, uh, founder uh, of that, uh, but. We're excited about the rest of the story, right? Yeah. We're excited about, you know, how, growing up, right? Growing up in New Zealand and, and education and being a CPA and then starting this small little technology company mm -hmm. after a number of a number of attempts at other companies and then just growing it to what you did. And then, man, one of the things that I'm so excited about Chris sharing is, is man, just his vision on serving people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's very clear. And I, and I am one that that intimately like there are so many ways that Chris and I, Chris is, is a mentor of mine. And I just want to put it out there because there's a lot of people that, that probably know this, but he has mentored me through a lot of one of my startups. He's mentored me through our commercial real estate firm and some of the ideas that we had. And as far as our data analytics are concerned, uh, but it's not so much what he's giving me as far as the knowledge, it's the time, the willingness to serve. And I, and I know you pour into me and a couple of our friends, you know, all the time, man, but Tyler and I and, and Ben, we just wanted to get you on, uh, on the podcast because there's so much more that you can provide those that are listening, our audience that, that's listening out there. So we want to talk your story. A lot of those already know about a little bit about leader, but we want to dive into not only leader, but in the tome and, uh, to push pay and everything else that you've done in the past. So 
Chris Heaslip, give That's, us your story. We want to go back, man. Where were you born? What was the family like? That's a high bar to live up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, originally from New Zealand. Uh, I think Matt scared away the four listeners you guys had in New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> Being, yes, he did. He, uh, he managed to insult the whole country yeah. for about half an hour. But, um, it's a lot of talk about sheep, and it was just <laughs> it just went a weird direction. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's so true. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, b- born in New Zealand and um, raised in a, a – uh, my mother raised me single parent household and um we we grew up uh uh with you know not a whole lot of money and and she worked three jobs just to you know provide for me and my sister Uh um and uh but i never i always remember you know she did such a good job of kind of hiding that from us um and never uh told us that you know we were poor she always tried to you know uh provide stuff that that we needed and uh and you know I, she just she had such a work ethic that i think that's where i i saw that i thought wow that's mm. that's what everyone does isn't it they right. work three jobs <laughs> yeah what, what did she do what, what what were those three jobs she was like a nurse that helped look after mm-hmm. um yeah uh, children that had just been born mm-hmm. um and help mothers kind of learn how to do that um she did babysitting mm-hmm. uh, for other parents and then she had this uh, role where she would uh, run this kind of like cafeteria mm-hmm. uh, at the local stockyards. So every, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Tuesday, the farmers would get together. And uh, so there was a cafeteria on the site where all these farmers got mm-hmm. together. And I remember she would have to go and clean this thing. And, uh, you know, the, the week later, there would be like dried cow crap on the floor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she would have to, you know, bake food and set it all out. Um, and so she would clean this on Tuesday nights, and then she would come home, and she would start late baking food mm-hmm. for this uh, this kind of cafe. And so I just, she wow. would take me and my sister. We would go and, and sit there early mm. when we were young, and we would watch her doing all this. And then we were older. She's like, "Here's a mop, you know, get, yeah, get to work, right, get, get to work. work, yeah, yeah." So, so, so in, in I, I, this is a conversation I have not had with you. So, where was where was your dad through through this time? So um, when I was about two, you know, he, uh, he, he had a drinking problem and then, um, you know, started to, uh, you know, see other women. And, and mm. so my mother, just like, enough, enough, yeah. you're out, you know, don't come, don't come here anymore. That was yeah. that. Right. So that's, I mean, that's where the strength comes from. I'm sure that you saw, right? Not only work ethic, but, but confidence and strength and, and seeing what your worth is. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think I was kind of too young to remember but there was just different parts of that that you remember vividly um and I think one of the things you know like I I hate being late for things Mm. uh, because Mm -hmm. I remember my dad was often late to pick me and my sister up Mm -hmm. and that that kind of impression that it leaves on you as a as a young kid five six seven eight years old and the one time a week you get to see your dad he turns up late yeah it it kind of leaves a mark and sometimes you know you go into life and then you're you know, you're supposed to be meeting someone, they run five or 10 minutes late and you find yourself getting really upset. And you're like, why am I getting upset about this? This, I shouldn't Mm be. Mm -hmm. And if you you ask the why question and you start to unpack that and you find out, actually, you know, I'm really upset about it because my dad was late to pick me up and it showed me that he didn't really care. Yeah. And so you just internalize that and then, you know, you, you kind of project that onto this person at this meeting that you're going to well, they don't really care about me because right. they're taking 10 minutes late um, when maybe the traffic was just bad. But yeah. you just 
you, you kind of, and so even just dealing with that and, and kind of thinking about it really helped, you know, to kind of develop me and, and uh, you know, it took a long time, but those kind of things where you have to ask yourself questions and work through them, you know, ultimately make you stronger. So those experiences early on in life, and I'm similar in a lot of ways, especially you know, your father being late. My father was the exact same way. And it was, and it's the same reason why I can't stand being late. I just want to be on time because mm-hmm. I, I respect it that way. But in those experiences, and I'm sure, you know, you and I have had these, these conversations, but for the audience, it's, it's been, I mean, some of those, those, those conversations have been painful. And I know they've been painful in the sense of what you went through as a child because you always wanted it. Similar to me, I always wanted my mother and father father together mm-hmm. all the time. How did you guys, did your mom do a great job of, of handling that, or did she uh, integrate your father in, in this, or was she op- open with the relationship with you and your father? She would, uh, she would tell you that for a while she was really bitter about it, mm-hmm. and um, after a few years she developed chronic arthritis in her knees, mm-hmm. and uh, she really started suffering with a lot of pain, and uh, actually through that started attending the local church and she heard people talk about the idea of forgiveness and mm. uh, started to kind of grapple with that and um, uh, I remember uh, vividly you know at one point she really said hey I'm you know I'm going to decide to forget I'm not going to forget right. but I'm going to forgive and uh, over the course of a few months her arthritis went away oh, wow. like almost immediately and um, and so wow. she she mm. kind of taught us like that, and I, you know she she always kind of still struggled with it. Um, I think, um, but I think she, the decision to forgive, and then her kind of feedback to me and my sister was, you know, hey, uh, while you're growing up and you're young, um, you can you, you have to just see him once a week. That's how it's going to be. But then when you get your own car, you can decide how to engage. Uh-huh. And I feel like when I was uh, a teenager, I really tried to make an effort to engage with him. And the best way I could describe it is that if I was inter- interested in the same things as him, drinking and uh-huh. maybe, you know, uh, really, really into sports, then we would be, you know, best friends. But, you know, he always wanted to be more of a friend than a father. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think because we had different interests, we just never had that common ground to mm-hmm. engage on. And I really tried hard. Mm-hmm. And um, and had to kind of deal with forgiveness myself in, in that journey. And so right. it's it's tough, I think. Uh, so much of our, our childhood shapes us. And, and, again, we don't realize that until right. you yeah. get older and you start trying to figure out why things are the way they are. Yeah. Is yeah. It, it's crazy because we've talked about it. And and maybe these dads that, that they have separate households, right, within a family – um, think that hey the best the best route is is to be their friend because mm-hmm. they need a friend in this time but as a child especially young boys um, the desire and and want for a father not a friend right. want a father mm-hmm. and again I I I'm speaking from uh you know a removed uh, a removed position on this because I, I didn't have that my mm-hmm. I, my dad was around and I was really lucky for that but. I, from more and more people that I talk to, it's like, man, like, I don't want you to be a friend. I want you to be my dad. Yeah. I think that, yeah. uh, you know, he tried, he would say, what do you want? And whether it was presents or watching a movie or doing certain things. And so he tried to fulfill the service level desires that I would say that I wanted. But actually, what I really wanted was just someone to go kick a ball around yeah. in the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, we think that our kids want the latest toy, the latest that 
what they really want is just someone to spend time with us yeah. and to kind of validate us as that, Hey, we're a human being and I have value. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I, I struggle with that as parents because you always like, how do I, you know, give my kids what they what want. want. Yeah. Um, but what about, what do they need? Mm-hmm. And that can be really difficult, you know, to, to deal with. And so yeah. he was more engaged in just, Hey, you know, in the time that we had together, rather than kicking a ball, throwing a Frisbee, going camping, it was more, hey, let's, you know, watch a movie or go to where you want to go for lunch. And it, yeah. I just, I don't think that was helpful. So, yeah. so growing up in New Zealand, I mean, we always hear about New Zealand and always think about how beautiful it is mm-hmm. and you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the scene, how scenic it is and beautiful. So growing up, what did you do? What was, what was, what was Chris Heaslip like as a child? Did you play sports? Did you, were you good in school? I mean, what was, what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, my, my, my uh, mom and her family are super competitive. So as soon as I was able to, they got me into racket sports, mm. played mm. Uh, squash, badminton, tennis. Um, and my, uh, my mom's mom was like phenomenal. She was an incredible racket sport player. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I like that racket sport. Yeah, any I kind like of that. any kind of racket sport. <laughs> I could see that it would carry over. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I remember playing uh, in in like the school or like even the you know the club uh, competitions. And uh, if I lost a game, she would be like furious. Mm. She would be you know you got to do better. Mom was that competitive? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, she would play. Uh, if there's a game called 500, which is like a, ca- a game of cards, and uh, they, my mom and my my grandma can't play together because they're that competitive. <laughs> they're like at each other, like you're cheating. I saw you do that. Like stop, you know. Yeah. Um, they're fully, fully competitive, uh, oh. and so that's what I learned is like you know losing is not acceptable. Mm. Um, uh, she said some variation of, you know, if you're a good loser, then you're a loser. <laughs> like, oh, you know, wow. like yeah. in a nice way. Not like, yeah, yeah, loser, yeah. but like, uh, Some, you know. Sometimes you need to hear the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like you play to win and you, yeah. and you give it everything and you mm-hmm. practice to win. And so uh, we did that. And then she would always have expectations that I'd be the top of the class in every single subject I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, from a young age, was like, hey, you're going to go to university, you're going to get a good job, and you need to earn money. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I didn't, and so you're going to do it. Mm. And so she said, originally I was going to be, a, you know, as a young kid, I wanted to be a policeman. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, son, you can't do that. They don't make enough money. And then she said, I said, well, what about like a fireman? She said, they don't make enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually she said to me, hey, you should be an accountant because uh, they, you know, you're good at maths and accounting. You know, I was like, what's that? She's like, well, it's like just counting people's cash. Like that's mm. what they do. And I'm like, okay, like oh, that sounds right, good. Right, yeah. Um, so, you know, from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be an accountant. And uh, when I went to <laughs> high school, the rural high school I went to, they didn't have accounting classes. Oh. So uh, I had to do, account, learn accounting by correspondence. I would go and sit in the library by myself or my, you know, uh, classmates would go to horticulture and agriculture because mm-hmm. yeah. it was a rural high yeah, school. Right. And, uh, and I would sit there and literally, you know, teach myself accounting from a book because that's what I had to do to get to university and become an accountant. There is probably zero eight-year-olds in the United States <laughs> <laughs> that are, are focused on accounting yeah. work starting yeah. at eight years old. And then not only like not just taking the classes, but also like doing it remotely on their own. Oh yeah. Like, wow. 
Were you wow. a numbers kid? You just, yeah. you got Did it. Did you enjoy it for, at that age, though? Or is it, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just going to do it? I, I think I, I don't know where the, the catch-22 started, but I enjoyed it because I was good at it and yeah. I was competitive. Mm. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if I was good at it because that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, it was almost like I had this calling via my mother. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I should do with my right. life. And so... <laughs> not being good at it was not an option. Yeah. Like that never even entered my mind. And so just, you know, I remember getting straight A's in accounting and just kind of finding it very easy. Yeah. Where that didn't sound like physics, I struggled crazy mm. with that. Mm. And, you know, had to, you know, get tutors and all kinds of things to try and get up to speed. So was the goal early on to stay in New Zealand? Did you all, I mean, since you already had that mindset of, I want to learn accounting, I want to kind of be success, successful, make money. Somehow, was the goal to stay in New Zealand and be an accountant when you grew up? My goal was to build the biggest accounting firm in New Zealand. Mm. That was the goal. Um, and I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, yep, yep. and mm. there were just so many lessons in that. Uh, one, you know, was like, hey, you're never going to be rich working for someone else. Mm. And so I kind of internalized that. And then another one was uh, when, when you start your career, you should focus on learning before earning. Mm. And if you focus on earning then later in your career you won't you won't have the right skills to actually continue Scale, growing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that when I started reading that book as I, you know, kind of got to the end of high school, it radically changed my whole idea of what I was gonna do because I was like, I wanna learn and so I asked people what is the uh, highest paying type of accountant and they told me tax accounting. So I said, I'm gonna do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about it. Right. And so uh, I was like, okay, so if I want to learn tax accounting, where do you go? And uh, I thought about it. My, I, no one told me. I just thought about it for a while. And I was like, well, you go work at the IRS, mm, the mm, New Zealand IRS. Mm -hmm. so, so I went out of college and signed up to work at the New Zealand IRS. And uh, they're like, what are, you, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I want to work here. Right. like, okay, sure. <laughs> Nobody usually lines up outside our We usually have to go find you. <laughs> yeah, but like that's... I was driven to learn, yeah. uh -huh. and uh, and I wanted to try and you know understand tax accounting. Yeah, and so I did two years there, um, and it was actually really good because I got an exposure to so many different kinds of businesses, mm. yeah. so mm. many different kinds of people, people from all walks of life, people who were successful, people who weren't. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people don't know is the IRS has tremendous power. So when you turn up and you're this 23-year-old kid and you show them your little badge, yeah. they have to answer these questions. Mm, and so mm. you, I was, I didn't even know it, but I was learning so much about business uh, just because I could turn up and you could you could look and say, well, this guy's successful, this other person is not. Yeah. And what are the things that are like in common between all of the people I've met who are successful? And over time, I started to add additional questions about Tell us about your business. How do you get into that? How do you do marketing? Mm -hmm. Like, what has this got to do with my taxes? And I'm like, yeah. well, if I don't know your business. How can I understand yeah. how so things work? That's how you're you cutting your teeth then. You were, yeah. cutting, you were learning the, the ins and outs about the business, Absolutely. not just the accounting side. Like yeah. property deals, you yeah. know, you would get all the, and they give you, you, you write them a letter and you say, I'm from the government. Please give me the paperwork. And they have to give you all this paperwork. Mm. So you'll learn it and you get so many reps. Mm. At, I'm not saying people should go work at the IRS. I was going to say, was this yeah. an assignment given to you or did you uh, act outside the law? No, no, no. This is part of it. Like, this is, I don't want to get to jail. Like, oh, I'm, it's it's like, I'm sitting it's like, all right, uh, Salesforce, I'm going to need you to open up your books and show me everything. <laughs> I want to learn about this. <laughs> well, no, like they just, they, they have all these, you know, manila folders and, yeah. and you, you know, get assigned a certain amount. And when you start, it's just high velocity. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking at so many different deals and you're just looking at just little parts of it. Mm -hmm. 
And then as you kind of uh, grow into the role, they say, right, now you're going to take this one and you're going to go deeper on it and do more work mm. on understanding the business. And so, yeah. but when you start, you don't know all the terms and how to close deals and escrow yeah. and like all of the stuff. And you're just learning all of this and it's coming at you so fast. Yeah. Mm. And, and in some ways, they're so generous because they teach you all of these things about business. And I think the, the lesson in all of that is don't go to the place that's the obvious place. Go to the place that you're going to get the most reps oh, yeah. and the most learning yes. because uh, it's not what you think. Okay, so I want to go back on this because you didn't tell us how you got the job. How did you get the job at the IRS? <laughs> Do you know the story? Yes, you told me like, everyone needs to hear this story. Um, so uh, the first thing I did is I sat down and I thought about, okay, the, the, um, her name was Evelyn. And I thought about Evelyn and I thought, okay, you know, what is she looking for in a person to come and work at the IRS? Mm. Um, and you would assume, you know, if it was a business, they want someone who's super motivated, who's going to make me money and all of that. And I thought, well, you know, uh, you know, Evelyn was later in her career. And, um, you know, I thought, well, what would I want if I was later in my career? I, well, the first thing I want to do is not get fired. Mm. So what am I looking for in a 23-year-old kid who's a graduate coming in here what am i looking for well i'm, I'm looking for someone who's not going to get me fired so i started trying to think about what is the word that i would use to describe that person and after like literally thought about this for two weeks and the word i came up with was a team player mm. and so i wrote the cover letter to apply for the job and i think i literally used the word team player 12 times <laughs> and i found examples of how i was a team player i found an article from the newspaper talking about what they needed at the irs mm. and how the irs was changing and uh how they needed people with you know business experience and and, and so i just like wrote this through the thing i went into the interview and i think i said team player team player team player <laughs> and then they probably didn't say this but they're probably like man this guy's a team player by the time <laughs> i walked out of there and um and i i just remember like being i i still have the cover letter mm. that i sent oh. to them and and just really thinking that through and it came from a book called how to win friends and influence people uh -huh. and it's this idea that everyone is thinking about themselves and the biggest mistake people make when they apply for a job is they tell you how great they are. Right. Right? They say, well, I did this. I have this degree. I went to this university. I, you know, have these qualifications. I'm amazing. Um, but the problem is you read that as the hiring manager and you say, uh, you know, like, I don't need someone amazing. I need someone to do this particular yes. role. Right, right. And so, you know, what you've got to do is switch it around and think about how do you put yourself in that person's shoes and really think about through empathy, what is it that they need? Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes people even tell you, um, and that's how I got, ended up getting my job at KPMG, we can talk about that in a second, but you know, they, they'll say, this, these are the kind of people we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then you have to figure out how do you express that like, I actually can do this role. Mm -hmm. In this yeah. book, uh, How to win, win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie was looking for a receptionist, you know, probably back in the 70s, to come and, and, and be a receptionist for him. And uh, he was going through these hundreds of applications. He was getting confused because he's like, I've got so many people applying for this role. Mm -hmm. I'm famous. And so, of course, these people want to come work for me. How do I determine if someone's good? And then he found this uh, cover letter that this lady had written. And she said, uh, Mr. Carnegie, uh, I would love to um, work for you. Uh, can I come and sort through the hundreds of applications you've got? And I'll organize them however you want. And at the end of you know, a day or two, you don't have to pay me. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like working with me, you should hire me. And of course she came in, organized all of the stuff. They got on great and she got the job. Mm 
Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because she used empathy to put herself so, in yes. the other person's you know, yes. shoes. And if you just you write a cover letter and you don't do any research, it just goes in the round file on the floor, mm -hmm. you're never gonna even get a second yeah. look. See, but that's yeah. such a that's that's emotional intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we I feel like we have such a lack of. And I know I always hate on like this time and I don't I don't want to be that negative guy, but that's such a valuable tool that I really hope any younger listeners that we have, you hear that. You hear, like, s stop thinking about yourself. Yeah. Start looking at the situation as if you're the third person in the room and say, okay, hey, what does that person need? Like, what, mm -hmm. what do they want? Mm -hmm. How can I provide a service in a way that is received in a way that they receive it? Mm -hmm. I mean, here's the deal, though. And you're 23 when you did yeah. this? 23 years old. Dude, how what cover letter did you write? Uh, there, you know how there selfish I was. <laughs> At 23 years old, first of all, I wasn't doing any accounting. That wasn't happening. First Let me of tell all, you, I still haven't read an accounting book at 23. But, but I, just, I just think of like how like emotionally immature I was yes. at 23. Yeah, and that's that speaks volumes to who you were. So I mean, there's a lot lot to you, and I want to unpeel this because you know your story is you learned a lot through the process. You mm. absolutely you didn't always love what you were doing, but you were learning a lot through that process. Let's get to college so you get out of college you go to uh to well, what the was IRS. College like I yeah mean, what was college like yeah what I was, was just in a hurry to get through okay. it as quickly as possible right okay, okay. and so um i was a, a b maybe uh, i was a, a below b student okay mm. um but mostly because i uh, promised myself that i was gonna um, work however many jobs i had to work to pay through college, I don't want okay, to. Okay, so paid for your oh. own school. Correct. It worked all the way through. I lived at home with my with my mother. Okay, and I uh, worked two or three jobs, just like she did. And so I spent more time working than I did at college. Um, yeah. And it was it was fine. But what types of jobs? Uh, I worked at Burger King. Yeah, I uh, oh, did wow. two years there. I was like the second longest tenured Boy. person at Burger King. Right. Um, I worked uh, for Coca Cola over the summer, like stacking uh, Coke on shelves mm -hmm. um, and they, they pay people to, they call merchandise, they drive around and literally get Coca-Cola and put it on the shelf and make sure it's like, it's faced outwards to the mm -hmm. buyer. Um, I uh, had a job at the university during their en busy enrollment period, trying to help people mm -hmm. get enrolled. Mm -hmm. We're getting a call center. So, I mean, you name it, I was, I was doing it. But you know, we're, this story is so, Poignant because I'm, I just had this conversation with my son, Jaden, yesterday about, you know, some of the most successful people in this world, when you look at their history and the reason why we do this podcast, this is the exact reason yeah. why we do this podcast, yeah. because people always see the end result. Now, you've become extremely successful in business, but could you imagine when you were working at Burger King that you would be sitting here right now? No chance. And, if, and, and I was, you know, I, I was in a hurry to get somewhere because I felt like, you know, that's what I should do and, and mm, where I should yeah. be. And honestly, if I had got here in my 20s, I would be an awful person. Mm. I, I couldn't have handled it. Yeah. Um, and so I think we get frustrated because we're not getting to where we want to get to fast enough, but we forget who are we becoming in the process. Yeah. And I think those experiences and working that hard um, meant that I value this a lot more. Mm. I don't take it for granted, but also, you know, there's so many other people where I was who, you know, want to help, you know, a step up to try and get into that. And that's yeah. why, you know, whether, whether it's leader or anything else, it's about helping people. That's, right. 
that's got to be the center of everything we do. Right, right. Yeah. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out at Sleep Number store wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to bedding. So get yourself to Sleep Number. Get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. So... In these moments, though, are you are you thinking that hey, I'm doing this because I'm learning. I'm doing this because I want experience. You're you're present enough to know that like, hey, I'm going to embrace the suck. Not for not now. stacking shelves or working at Burger King. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you can but learn think about, about like now what you know about product placement now, right? And I mean, the details. I mean, you know, absolutely, you lo- you yeah. do learn um, yeah. from that. But I think it was more when I got to the workforce. The, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, and then I did KPMG after the IRS, mm-hmm. which was like from one extreme to the other. And then you know how I ended up getting that job was I <laughs> was at the IRS, yeah. and I was like. Okay, I need to get out here because I was I'm never going to leave. Uh, right. And my work ethic had started to become, you know, like a government department. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I gotta I gotta figure out how to get out of here. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just be here the rest of your life. Yeah, I'll be here the rest. And yeah. people do. And so um, I was like, how on earth do you go from the IRS to a big four accounting firm mm-hmm. because they don't hire people in a big four accounting firm from the IRS? Mm-hmm. And so I just did the same thing. I so, sat down and thought about. You know, what do does a big four accounting firm even want? And mm. I, I realized I couldn't answer the question. And so I, I reached out to one of the partners, his name was Alan, and I wrote to him and I said, he was a managing partner, and I just wrote to him and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Chris, I'm, you know, 24 years old, and uh, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do in my career. And I realized I don't even know a whole lot about what does a big four firm do? Would you, mm. can I buy you a coffee, any, any place, any time, I'll pay for it can you just give me an hour of your time? Mm. And so I sent this email off and uh, like half an hour later, he responded and said, sure, I'll be here at 6 a.m. And I'm like, 6 a.m.? Like, right, right. So it could be like nine o'clock. <laughs> um, and we know you're going to be on time. So that's a really early wake yeah, up. Yeah, that's a really early wake up call. So I just turned up and just asked questions about what, what does this look like? What mm. do you do in a big accounting firm? Um, and got to know, you know more about them and through that process got invited to come and be part of it. Mm. But here's the part that people don't realize. Mm. I was, I'd already done two years. And so I'm thinking like, I'm coming in at, you know, maybe like a third year kind of role. Right. Like maybe a second, but probably a third mm. year, decent salary. And I got the offer and it said graduate. Oh, wow. So I was taking a 30% pay cut mm. from the IRS. Wow. I was going to be working twice as many hours. Wow. And I was going to be at like the entry level, like the, photocopier guy did you ever think well i'm not doing that like the ego had to step up it probably had to step up and say like five minutes i was like frustrated yeah (laughs) and then i said i'm gonna learn before Uh i earn and what was even more interesting was instead of going to the tax team they have a whole team dedicated to tax i said i want to go to the accounting team because i want to learn accounting Mm -hmm. i already know tax right Mm -hmm. so like optimizing for learning i'm going to come here to the accounting team 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn this. And you know what? That's crazy because you, most of us we do things that are you know most comfortable, right? Yes. Yep. Right. So I I would have thought, okay, you're gonna go right to the tax team because you already know it. You'll feel comfortable. You can move up the ladder that much quicker. Why? Why? I mean, what thought? What, what was your mindset back then to think? Yeah. Were you trying to build something much bigger for yourself? Yeah. I mean, my goal was like, how do I build the biggest accounting firm mm-hmm. in New Zealand? And so I'm like, I need to learn, you know, how do they even run this operation? Right. I mean, these, this is the best of the best. And I, yeah. I want to come here and I don't want to just learn accounting. I want to learn how they operate and how mm-hmm. does their mindset work? Because to that point, I hadn't really been around people who had been really yeah. successful. Mm-hmm. And so the, uh, the, partner said well you can't come to the accounting team you have no experience in this and you have b's and c's on your you know transcript yeah Yeah. but i started at eight so (laughs) i'll be good so i said to him hey uh listen i will work as hard as i have to work if it's 80 hours a week if it's weekends i will come here and i will work that hard until i know how to do this Mm. and i don't know why but he agreed to take a chance Mm. and put me into that team and it was it was rough like you know, the first six months was, it was a culture shock. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know as much about doing what I should, should be doing. And I, I learned, but still it was, it was tough. Mm. You know, what's so crazy is, is how two people, and I, and I I act like New Zealand's just like a really small place where everybody knows each other. Right. <laughs> right. But you know, Matt's description of, of his upbringing in New Zealand, it was like, everybody kind of just like just kind of does their role, right? Like the aspirations are just not, not really there. And like, Hey, you know, we all just kind of serve the community. And I made a, you know, I made a little joke about socialistic joke or whatever. But, but it's like, it's, and then coming from your upbringing with your mom being hyper competitive and like, no, 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 you're going to go to school and you're going to earn as Mm. much as you can. Mm. And you're going to do as well as you can. And then just to have your mindset, it's just so different. But then again, like how different paths, and now how closely you guys work together and, and I'm, sh- I'm sure how great you complement each other, right? Him just not having any aspirations in life at all. And then you being super hyper motivated. Shot, that was a shot at Matt. Matt, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. What's the term? Matt said something. There was a term that, that's used. The tall poppy syndrome. Yes. 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 And, and it, no, it's, it's real. And I think it was just more for me because um, we didn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And my mother was so competitive. It's kind of like the combination of those things. Yeah you know, resulted in me. Right. Yeah. But I think if you came from a good a good home and you were doing just fine, mm-hmm. what he's described as 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whereas I think my mom was more motivated by like, hey, you need to get yourself set up. Mm-hmm. And then she was always like, you can do whatever you like once you've got the money, yeah. but right. get the money first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just part of who my mom was, was and part yeah. of the upbringing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. something yeah. that so, speaks a lot to your mom, man. Speaks a lot to her. So go ahead. I'm so KPMG... Uh, walk us through kind of that journey there, right? You got you got a lot of experience. You got hired. Yep. Um, I'm sure learned a lot on the accounting. How side. many years were you there? Two years. You're two. Yeah. Okay. I just had a personal thing. I never go somewhere for less than two years. Yeah. Um, and I, I still had, have never had a job for less than two years because I there feel like if they're taking a chance on me, I have to yeah. pay them back. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we're going through we're going through a, um, a book called uh, the Wisdom Pyramid, okay. and so mm-hmm. it just talks about. The reason that there's such an absence of wisdom in our culture today is because we have, you know, this idea of perpetual novelty, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. always looking for something new. And like, think about like everybody, especially in this labor force right now, where you can take advantage of it a little bit, where it's like, hey, I'm just going to go to the next highest paying job and I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there and I'm going to move over here because I'm bored with this, I'm going to go over Mm -hmm. here, I'm tired of doing the same old thing. And 
And the fact that like, hey, we've got to commit to something because we can never really, we can never realize that skill until we've spent the time and spent the hours mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. I just think graduates these days are expecting, okay, hey, I'm ready to go and I want to I be the dude. Right. Like, I'm not willing to go work at the IRS. I'm not willing to go stack shelves. I'm not willing to go do these things. Like, I just need to make money because, because there's insta, insta success now. Right. right. But I think the problem is the employee-employer relationship breaks down because, yeah. you know, as the employee, what I want is I want you to invest in me. Yeah. And, you know, but I'm not going to give you any commitment to stick around. And so what has to happen is there has to be a two-way commitment, which is if you're not going to stick around, me as the employer, I'm not going to invest into you, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. why would I? Yeah. You're going to be gone. Yeah. So uh, what happens as the employee is the employer is not going to give you opportunities if there's a likelihood you're going to be gone in five yeah. minutes. Right. Yeah. And so what I would do if I was an employee is I would go to my boss and say, listen, I want to be here for two years minimum, and I want you to invest in me and in return for that, I'm going to stick with you and help make you successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then what's going to happen is you're going to go straight to the list of people that they give opportunities to. Right. And, you know, then Stay longer. And it's like, give me the feedback, coach me harder yeah. because I want to grow. Yeah. It's a chicken and egg yeah. situation. It now. is. It is. And, and a lot of employers, my wife's going through this right now. Yep. The, the attrition rate is just outside of itself. But it's the same thing. Like I, I go around the country and I always say, I want someone that's coming in as an employer. I want someone that wants my job. Exactly. I want it because that person is going to burn hot like me. Okay. So you know what I did? Uh, when I wrote to KPMG, I said, I'm not going to apply to any other firms. I want to come and work at KPMG. Mm -hmm. And I think that made me stand out a whole bunch mm -hmm. more than other folks because, you know, it's like, hey, will you have a coffee with me and help me figure this out? By the way, I'm talking to eight other people. Yeah. Right. You're not exactly. going to do it. Yeah. So right. if I said, hey, I'm not applying to anywhere else right mm -hmm. now, you know, you're my number one choice. Right. Like, how much more likely are they to take that Absolutely, because you've put them on this pedestal of that's where you want to be. Exactly. Like, you, you're engaged them. You've Absolutely. So let's go. You went through KPMG. Yep. And, and then what happened after your time there? Well, I remember I sat down with a partner, and I told him I'm leaving to run my own business. And he was like, you know, Sonny, you don't understand how this works. Like, people have fought. You're like one in a thousand people who – you know, have got through to get here and now you're going to give this up. He's mm -hmm. like, you just, you don't understand. You're going to regret this. Um, and especially because I told him I was going to go and start my own business. And he's like, no, no one does that. No right. one in there, no one who's 25 does that. Yeah. Um, and I just like, Hey, that's, I, I really felt strongly. Um, I had to take the leap. I had to jump because mm -hmm. like with the IRS, if I didn't leave, I would stay there mm -hmm. and I get too comfortable. Did and you have so, an idea of what you wanted to do? Um, I had a few ideas, but it was more like jump and then kind of figure it figure out. It out. Okay. I, it's not wise, but <laughs> you just, sometimes you're going to get into a situation where you're like, if I don't do this, yeah. I won't because yeah. I'm going to be on the career. Know. The money's too good. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's a saying, the two most addictive things in the world, are heroin and a monthly paycheck. Oh, and uh, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here because if I, if I don't, I'm, I'm just going to, enjoy that and you know you enjoy a new car and then you start mm. you know and it's just eventually you just get stuck and yeah. i think a lot of people get stuck and you you know especially some guys and they just the frustration builds and builds and mm. builds yeah and it's like i have a family i've got kids now how do i do something i, I want to do something but I, i'm i don't know what to do now because i'm i'm in this position i've right. got a responsibilities uh -huh. and you can't do it yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, preach. I hear you. <laughs> preach. I hear you. <laughs> preach. Preach. I wasn't looking this way. <laughs> All right. I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Okay, so so you left and what did you start? Um, I, I tried so many different things. I had a record company. I had a packaging company. I tried something in the credit card. You're rapping. I didn't know you were a rapper, man, back then. Uh, oh, yeah, you got the- <laughs> each of those, some beats, some M&M beats. Uh, <laughs> it's, each of those is a crazy story. But I just I tried starting all kinds of different companies. Uh, um, and one of the things I realized at KPMG was the challenge with accounting is it's, it's – um, you know, if you want to sign up a lot more customers, you have to have a lot more staff mm-hmm. and then you have a lot more problems and then you have more, you know, people who owe you money. Yeah. And so the business didn't scale. Mm-hmm. And so I had this, this career ambition to be running this big accounting firm and I realized it was not going to make it. And so I had to transition away from that. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was a really tough season because I was stuck and I knew that I was supposed to do something, but I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some accounting to pay the bills. And I was trying all these other things. And I was just, you know, burning money. And it just, I was just frustrated. I was reading TechCrunch every day to try and understand you know, the software industry. And mm. it was just, you know, so it was a, a few years of really, um, you know, just feeling stuck and not knowing where this was going to end up. Were you funding all these to start? Yeah. Were you getting, getting mm. people to help no. you? All yourself. All my own money. The okay. first 14 wow. deals I did were all my own money. 14. 14 things I tried. 14, 14 startups that you tried to create. Absolutely. And, you know, some were bigger than others. Some, you know, were tens of thousands of dollars. Other ones I got three months down the line and realized there was some legal reason it wouldn't work and mm. had to shut it down. But tried 14 Man. different things. You weren't afraid to take the first step. No. I mean, I just, Gosh. you know, there was this this saying I remember, which is, if you want to double your success rate, double your failure rate. Oh. And it just, it kind of was like, okay, I've got nothing to lose. I'm, I'm starting at ground zero. Yeah. And uh, my mom wasn't very happy with that. I left KPMG. <laughs> She's right. like, you know, I thought you were going to get here. <laughs> yeah. and I just said, you know, mom, like, hey, the good thing about accounting is I can always go back to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it'll always be waiting. So I have to try this at the season. Otherwise, I couldn't. And so I, I tried so many different things. And I remember one day I was so frustrated that, you know, I thought I should be way further ahead than I was. Mm-hmm. And I, I, was, I sat down, I was reading my Bible, and I came across this verse in Proverbs chapter 23, and it says, um, Do not wear yourself out to get rich, for if you chase after money, mm-hmm. it will grow wings and fly away like a butterfly towards heaven. Mm-hmm. And I was like, first of all, do not wear yourself out to get rich. It hit me right where I was, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was grinding. grinding. Right, yeah. Like, and literally 16 hours a day, the whole mm-hmm. thing. And um, I was like, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean? Because it felt like exactly where I was. 
I was chasing something and every time I got close, it would just jump away a little bit right. and it would jump away a little bit. And what I felt like it meant was I was trying to do all these businesses because I wanted to be successful. Mm. I wanted to get something. And I, what I felt like it meant for me at that time was actually, Chris, stop chasing after something to get and start focusing on giving. Mm. And mm. if you focus on serving people, you're going to become a, a successful as a byproduct of that. Mm. And it's so countercultural. And, you know, I thought oh, back to is. those letters that I've written. Yeah. I was like, I'm so stupid. Of course, like this yeah. is this is what I I've been figured missing. out back then. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so how do I provide value to people? And if I give value, you know, then I'm going to become successful right. as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. But my heart has to be about helping other people mm -hmm. and not just chasing to get something. Mm. So. Tell us how easy that journey was in creating something when you're just serving people. It's a smooth, easy process all the way through, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is, um, so Elliot, uh, my co-founder at Pushbay, yeah. um, he came and he shared this idea about you know giving to churches. And I was like, how ironic is this? That it, this whole thing that I was trying to figure out was about getting, getting versus giving. Right. And then literally we started a giving company. Mm -hmm. And the idea was if, if you can, back in 2010, you know, if you can give on your phone in 10 seconds, the average gift, by the way, is $180, mm -hmm. okay? So people are trying to be generous. They're not giving five bucks or 10 bucks. Yeah, right. It's significant. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't take too many of those missed gifts before there's a lot of money that's left behind. Yeah. So we eventually launched this thing in New Zealand and the US. The first customer we launched it with saw like $500,000 a year of increased giving. Oh, wow. And, and so like this idea of like, helping serve other people you know by solving a problem it was a win-win-win yeah. because they won because they got a whole bunch of additional giving mm -hmm. we won because we were able to charge a software fee mm -hmm. and the people using the software won because it's they easier. were able to give and be generous right and then the community won because that church was able to help people in that community yeah, yeah. and so like to me now i'm like Everything I do, I want to be part of something that's a win-win-win-win. Mm, I don't mm -hmm. want to win in someone else's expense. Yeah. And I don't want to try and get something if someone else isn't also participating. Yeah. And I think that's that mindset shift was right at the time when everything changed. Man, me. and Elliot comes through the door and yep. has this... I mean, is it his idea or you guys formulate this it idea It was his together? idea. I, was I mean, it? I helped put the payment part together, but he turned up with the idea. Right. And I was like, I can see how this can work. There's a payment gateway and it works like this. And Because right. I had done this other credit card uh, business. Oh, and yeah. so I knew a bunch of stuff oh, about that. Uh -huh. And, you know, all of those failures actually had some small Gosh, part to play in yeah. helping actually pull this together. Isn't it crazy, right? Just how God works through the mm. whole process where it's like you literally, you cannot see it until oh, you look yeah. back. We're blind to and it. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's why I chased that. That's uh, why I failed at that. That's why I did that. Yeah. Like, oh. So walk us through that push pay, that growth in, in New Zealand, then like the decision to relocate. Cause, cause we heard, we heard from Matt's perspective. Yeah. Uh, hey, we're going, <laughs> let's go or you're out. Yeah. And, and then, but want to hear like that decision to go from New Zealand to Seattle and then kind of, you know, where push pay went from there and then ultimately brought you here to Texas. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, my mother's competitive juices, you know, we talk about failing, failing 14 times, you know, like you, you get beat down and you're like, ah, oh, just your mindset is, you know, like I'm, it's never going to happen for me. And so I think 
it's easy to gloss over that part of it, but you know, especially with a competitive family, mm-hmm. you know, having so many things that just were not working was like, uh, right. So it messes with your head. And so yeah. when it push pay started, you just go and you're like, okay, you know, maybe it's not going to work and maybe it's going to fail. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of doubts that I had going into it. And, um, you know, there were so many different parts that also failed, but I guess at that point I had learned like failure wasn't permanent. Uh-huh. And uh, there was this great Winston Churchill quote, and he said, um, success is going from failure to failure without losing or getting discouraged. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's where I was. Yeah. <laughs> so when we started, there were just problem, 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 problem. Yeah. And uh, it took really about five years to really figure out the business, get it humming in a great place. And um, we, we uh, had this guy in the States and he said, hey, bring Pushpay over here. We'll help you get set up. And then through a bunch of things that happened, he, he just decided to renege on the promise. But we were really over here. Mm. We'd raised some money from investors to come to the States. So we just kind of said, hey, we're going to stick with it. All right. And we're going to continue to grow here. We found someone else to run the credit card processing, and uh, and then we ran out of money. Right. <laughs> so huh. you know the the one, number what one. What year was this when you ran out of money? December t- uh, twenty thirteen. And so your client okay. base, there was you had a decent client base in the states already, correct? Or were you trying to enter into that market? We had a uh, so we we launched in the U.S. in about April of thirteen, and by mm-hmm. December we had about one hundred fifty uh, customers here. Okay. And so it was going decently well, um, but just wasn't growing fast enough. And the thing that every investor looks at Mm -hmm. for a high growth company is high growth. Growth, And so we could show that we were getting closer, but we didn't really have the track record yet. Mm. These two guys from New Zealand and a lot of investors turned us down. Mm. And uh, at the 11th hour, uh, we met a guy called Peter Mm. and he agreed to invest in uh, Pushpay $2 million. And he said, hey, you have to go public as a, a condition of us investing I said, wow. peter are you sure like we have 12 staff mm-hmm. we have you know a few hundred thousand a year of revenue mm. i you know i don't know and he said yep we're gonna do it i said okay wow. and did so, you know at that point what that process looked like no, no okay no, no. no i mean you're just like how oh, could it be let's go yeah i was an accountant i mean you know i did some debits and credits i mean hey irs is way harder than the sec don't (laughs) promise you so uh eight months later eight months you know still only a few hundred employees yep we went Mm. public in new zealand in august of 14 and uh you know you think people are popping the uh the corks and everything and so they did that Uh. they they ring the bell and i was over here in the states they were in new zealand Uh. i'm on zoom watching the the thing and then we waited for like the first people to buy the stock and waited and it was like two hours before someone finally bought one share <laughs> of the company to like ding the like light. Like, just, like, just, just, just sit there waiting. <laughs> yeah! It's your mom. <laughs> uh, What'd yeah. you guys open at? Uh, so it was uh, like, it traded up like 10% the first day or something oh, nice. like that. Okay. Nice. And, yeah. um, and we're like, it was like a 50 million valuation for a oh. company with not a whole lot of revenue. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we just had to continue growing really fast. And so as part of that, we made these promises to investors that we were going to grow really fast. Mm. So by December of uh, f- uh, 14, so in like four months, we doubled mm. the customer base. And I remember 
calling Peter and the board and being like, hey, we did it, you know, yes. And he called me back on the 2nd of January and he's like, great, now you need to do it again this quarter. You know, we've got double again. Right, right. And I was like, oh, wow, like, Way okay. Enough. You know, this right. is like a, a, not a one-time thing. It's going to yeah. be going on. And so then we doubled again. Uh, so we, we grew 50% in the, the first quarter and then we doubled again in six months and doubled again in six months and just you know it was it, it never was easy though yeah, yeah. i was gonna ask yeah. what was what was quality of life because we've had this conversation what was quality of life like during this hyper growth you know for you and um and, and your team um it was tough really tough long hours and you know fortunately my wife was amazingly supportive yeah. mm -hmm. and we just had a young you know couple year old son at that point mm. you know it would be different trying to do it with three kids who are older now but yeah, back right. then it was a little easier um a lot of travel backwards and forwards from new zealand um and uh trying to get visas to come to america mm. was insanely difficult yeah um and uh just problem after problem it was just you know and then you know we raise money again like six months after we went public because oh, wow. wow. you know we were growing fast but we were mm -hmm. burning a lot of money and then it was about another year again we raised more money like it was really just you know grinding but i mm -hmm. think um everything in that first you know i was i was about uh, a little over 30 when we went public everything in those first 30 years yeah. felt like it prepared me for that and yeah. i you know the hard work of being a public company ceo didn't bother me mm -hmm. yeah um you know and we, i was prioritized family but just it was just what I always had done, mm -hmm. and but this felt different because I was really helping to build one thing versus kind of looking for that silver bullet mm -hmm. for the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just, you know, the team we put together was amazing. And something that was really interesting was we had a completely contradictory way of building a team than what most people do. Um, we hired people based on culture first, yeah. uh, obviously apart from mm -hmm. like, CFO who's got to be able to file the right reports right. and stuff. But, yeah. you know, almost everyone in the company we hired based on culture and then we they learned how to do the job on the go. Mm. Meaning the head of processing, the guy dealing with all of the money going backwards and forwards had never done processing before he came to Push Bay. Mm. The, Matt who ran sales had never done sales before he came to Push Bay. Mm -hmm. And on and on down the list, you know, the people who came to the company were just the right culture fits. They were willing to work hard. And we just invested in them and believed in them, mm -hmm. and they repaid that back, ten x. Yeah, you and, and you are, and I know we're going to run up against time here real soon, but you are a processes guy, mm -hmm. right? So, at what part in your in your entrepreneurship? I don't know if it was in push pay that you are start to understand the processes and putting these processes in place. Um, I think so. It, to me, it's a stage thing. So, mm -hmm. in the early stages of a company, it was. We don't know if we have something. Let's try a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And then when you find something that's working, it's like, okay, the way that you go from 2 million a year of revenue to 10 to, 10 to 100 mm -hmm. is simply by doing the same thing over again, but bigger. Mm -hmm. And so when you realize that, you say, oh, okay, actually just making stuff up on the spot and having every sales rep do a different pitch mm -hmm. isn't going to get us to where we want to go. Yeah. What we've got to do is say, oh, the, the best rep, let's take his pitch and then teach the other 100 people on the team how to do that because mm. it's working. Mm. And mm. so it has to become systematized mm. to scale. Yeah. Like the definition of scaling is doing the same thing, Over you know, over. times 100 right. and getting 100x results. Yeah. Um, and if you don't realize that it's a scale game, mm -hmm. then you keep trying to find the next thing mm -hmm. and not realizing it's right there. It's just, it's, 
like to, to some degree when you get to that point at two million and you're trying to scout it's boring yeah mm-hmm. because it's you know uh it's trying to do the same thing over and over again and there's all kinds of interesting people problems and other right. things that happen running out of money but <laughs> scaling something is not is not the exciting part yeah mm-hmm. because it's literally just trying to repeat something over and over again yeah. like a manufacturing process mm-hmm. i think a lot of people struggle with that conceptually i think a lot of people struggle with the fact that even i just struggle when you were giving me advice of how you simplify it. It's like, it's, it, I, I think I've always made things difficult in a lot of ways yeah, where I need to, to be successful. Con- it's gotta be hard. Oh, it's gotta be hard. And it is, it's just like, you, you're like, no, just do this over. And oh, is that successful? Yeah, keep doing it. And exactly. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, that's, that's actually good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like when, when we got to the end of my time there, you know, around uh, 2019, mm-hmm. Uh, I was wanting to do that. Some of that, I mm-hmm. was saying, "Hey, like, I want to launch a new product to do this and do that," and the team was like, "We don't really need to do that. You know, yeah. we we have things that are pretty good here." And I was always like, ah, "Let's blow it up and like try and figure something else yeah. out." And I realized, you know, like, I mean, it, it had been an amazing run to you know scale something from one to a hundred million yeah. in five years, mm-hmm. but also I wasn't the next person because you know when you think about the responsibilities of that role, it was. Okay, you're in board meetings, you're doing a lot of health and safety, mm. you've got a lot of legal things going on. And I was the guy always looking for like, how do we get to the next mountaintop? Yeah. And that requires a lot of risk and, you know, everything that I've been through. Mm. And so I think, you know, I realized actually like I don't have the right skill set for where this needs to go. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's it's uh, humbling to be mm. like that where you realize, you know, maybe it's like a, a football player at the end of your career and you just realize like I could do another year, but like I'm not the player helping I used the, to be. Not helping yeah. the team in the way they need exactly, it. Yeah. Yeah. and that's that's where I was. I'm not I'm yeah. not helping the team get to where they need to go, yeah. mm. and I'm not the right person anymore. And so I'm best to pass the baton yeah. in an organized way rather than waiting. And I could I could wait it out. Mm. I could stick around for another year. Yeah. Then I'm going to get the boot. Right. Someone's going to be like, Chris, your time's up. Right. Yeah. I don't want that. So yeah. I think that mm. framework is a great way. So to go. when you're going through these hyper growth times as a company uh how do you how do you keep track because everything is okay hey focus is is double revenue double revenue double revenue double revenue how do you how do you focus on those things but then also make sure that you're pouring into the people that that are driving that growth yeah on a day-to-day basis well i think again like what people do is they really overcomplicate it and i was pet my strength was always seeing the next step that had to happen mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if we want to build a hundred million dollar company of revenue, mm-hmm. okay, well, the goal for the next quarter is just simply to sign up 30 people mm-hmm. yeah. or a hundred people. Mm-hmm. And when you know that you say, okay, well, how many phone calls do I have to make to yeah. sign up a hundred people? Right. I got to make, you know, and so you just work it out and it's a yeah. process like that. And it, uh, I think people assume that there's some hidden secret that they're missing, because you know it seems too obvious mm-hmm. and one of the things i realized I, I got this opportunity to meet with this incredibly successful company at the irs and i remember sitting there and i'm looking around and they've got all these folders and stuff and it was this kind of light bulb moment this company that's here that's incredibly successful is just like a lot of the small companies i've met except they're big mm-hmm. And it's either incredibly freeing or inc- incredibly depressing when you realize there's no secret source. There's nothing that they know that they don't know. Mm-hmm. They just managed to improve at scale to go here. Mm-hmm. And so when I was there, I'm like, okay, there's no secret source from going from one to 100. Mm-hmm. 
it's just literally doing the same thing and scaling mm -hmm. and actually growing the organization to that. And yeah. it was freeing because we work backwards. We say the goal is 100 you know, signups this, this month or this quarter or whatever. We need this number of people in the seat. They've got to convert at 25%. And I just built this big you know, uh, PowerPoint and mm. just went through each person and then said, right, you're going to own this number and you're going to own this number and you're going to own this number. And you don't tell me anything apart from these metrics right here and you know, people are like, whoa, like now there's simplicity and accountability yeah. because there's no there's no secret source. Yeah. Right. When right. you when you overcomplicate it, what happens is you can't hold people accountable yeah. because they don't have a clear goal, they don't know what they own, they don't know where the company's going, and then they can see how their part actually impacts the whole. Yeah. And their reason to want to succeed now is not because I told them a number, because they want to lead the team down. Yeah. Right. That's the thing that's way more powerful. Yeah. You know? I just, I mean, think about whether you're a coach, whether you're a parent, mm -hmm. whether you're a teacher, whether you're a business owner, whether you're in a manager position, whatever it is, it's just lost because you say what the end goal is like, hey, we want to, we want to be here. But, mm -hmm. But then you think there's some comp complicated formula that you need to do to get there. It's like, no, just work backwards. Hey, yeah. in order for us to win the high school state championship in Texas, okay, we've got to we've got to make it to the playoffs. Because right. if we don't make it to the playoffs, we don't go, we don't go to the show. Take care right? of the division. Okay, right. to do that, yeah. you gotta win your division. Yep. To do that. Okay, so but then here's what we gotta do in the offseason is we, you, you know, little Timmy, you have to improve your 40 from five six to five four. That's right. what I need from you. And I need to, yep. you to improve your power clean from 135 to 165. Yep. Like tangible. And it's not super complicated, right? And, and when you talk about sales, it's like, hey, I need you to own 30 new accounts this quarter. Yep. Yep. You need to land 30 new accounts. And it's like, okay, I know what I got to do. And you got to bring people on the journey because they've yeah. got to be part of the team that sets the goal. Yeah. And then because they have to then own it because they created it. Yeah. And then when, yeah. I, what happens is when you do that in front of other people, now mm -hmm. you're not letting me down. I didn't tell you this goal when you're like, hey, Chris, you told me this goal is unachievable. Yeah. I'm like, right. no, no, you told me the goal. Yeah. Right. And you gave the commitment in front of all of the other peers. Yeah. And if you don't hit it, you're going to let them down. Mm -hmm. And no one wants to be the part of right. the team that Man, misses yeah, that the goal. I'm just thinking yeah. like, I wish there was like a company, right? Even like a technology, like SaaS type company <laughs> that had like a platform that could train like the leaders, leaders. to lead people to help them make these decisions. Like I just, yeah. I wish there was something out there. Like, yeah. Darren, you want to? I have never heard of anything wanna, out there, man. You want to hey, no You want to start this with me? We should. Let's do this. Let's do wait, this. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh. So let's jump. Let's jump to, to well, talk about the, the exit. So, yeah. so you walked away, right? And that's, I mean, you, this is the longest you've been with a single company yep. up to this point. Yep. And you invested a ton. You put a ton on the line. You, you moved your, your family away. It, right? yeah. you know, like, yeah. It's tough. And I think you tell yourself, look, I am not my job. I'm not, I'm yeah. not CEO Chris. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, uh, yeah. I think I was, yeah. you know, a lot more than I realized. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's tough. Transitions yeah. are tough. Mm -hmm. And you, your identity was wrapped up in the role that you did. Mm -hmm. And then to, to wake up and be like, okay, I'm not that person anymore was a difficult challenge. But, you know, I was like, I got to get up and go again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, to, to kind of explain leader, the best businesses, A, is about helping people. We knew that. Mm -hmm. So it's, what am I passionate about? You know, obviously leadership development, you know, what can we be the best in the world at? And then how do we monetize it in a yeah. way that 
makes sense. And in the intersection of those three things is like where magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's to me, I, I, you know, it's your calling to use a higher word is, you know, your calling has to be to help other people on a mission, right. but also your calling without something you're really good at. Like that's not your calling. Maybe yeah. someone else's calling. Yeah. Right. But you have to be really good at it. And you have to be really objective and say, I can do this because, you know, I have something, I have an experience that I know how to do this before. And then of course you have to be able to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you can't scale. Right. Um, and so in that intersection is where, you know, we found yeah. leader. So when you started the leader, was it did you already have it in your mind when you were at, at Push Bay that like this is an idea There's that I gap. can yeah, I can run with it once I leave here? I think people had told us they said this is crazy that you've got all these people that you developed mm-hmm. that you hired on culture and then you developed. Yeah. And you know we had this amazing uh, uh, you know lady who worked at Push Bay. Her name was Robin. She started as the receptionist and then she grew through, got promoted to be, she just would come in every morning and she would put amazingly positive, encouraging notes to everyone in the Slack channel. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, it's gonna be a great day. You know, mm. it's like, so just through like sheer, you know, enthusiasm, she eventually got promoted to be in customer success and mm. got promoted twice. And then eventually she left that and came to leader. And now she's the strategic, you know, account manager, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But someone who started as the receptionist. And so like, as someone who was there, you just, this is, isn't this normal? Isn't this what everyone does? Yeah. Right. And eventually people are like, this is not normal. No. <laughs> um, you know, what is it? How have you created a culture where people can come in mm-hmm. and you give them a lot of autonomy to grow and develop? Yeah. And if people want it, then they step up and they keep getting promoted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you create that? And so as a result of that, that's where we started saying, wow, actually this is not normal. Yeah. And how do we frameworkerize that so that it can scale and work for everyone? All right. So... <laughs> What's the conversation with your wife that, hey, we're done, we exited that company, I don't necessarily have to do anything, but I'm going to start over. I'm going to start a brand new startup, yeah. and, and, and I need you to be on board with this. Oh, and by the way, we're eventually going to move to Texas. Well, one was okay, one was not. <laughs> um, studying, she was fine with starting a new company. Yeah. Um, she said, there's two conditions. Number one, you got to take the boys to school in the morning. And number mm. two, you have to be home to cook dinner at night. Mm. Oh, wow. And she said, if you do that, you can spend all the money on whatever. Like, mm. go do it. Yeah. Like, it's who you are. Mm. I don't want to hold you back. And uh, I thought that was kind of smart because she's like basically telling me I've got to leave home at this time. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be, be home, home at this time. You can yeah. do it, but there's callers. <laughs> <laughs> bookends on you. Yeah, that's smart. That's I'm not going to let the leash out all the way. <laughs> so it was, but, but, you know, just someone who's like, hey, I believe in you. And, uh-huh. you know, of course, you know, second time around, if you win a Super Bowl and then to try and win another one, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's harder the second time around yeah. uh, because there's way more expectations. Yeah, but it's not like you just started leader. Like, it, there's an entrepreneurial spirit in you that's and it's and it's based around your faith mm-hmm. and, and and we haven't even talked about tome and, and i want to get into that i know we're again we're pushing all the <laughs> time but you know talk about tome as well and what made you start um that business well i i you know uh to kind of sum it all up you mm-hmm. know life is short mm-hmm. and i think that uh when when you start look i started reading these books about you know what do people uh regret when they get to the end of their life and they look back and they wish that they had done differently. Um, and, uh, and I'll probably butcher this, but like there was this, this lady, she worked in a rest home and she wrote down, you know, some of the themes that she was seeing. Um, and one of them was, I wish that I had taken more risks. Um, that was one of the thing people regretted immensely. 
Um, and one of the others was, I wish I had followed my heart more or some mm. variation of that. And um, so, you know, uh, Matt and I were doing leader and it's been going incredible, you know, to go from, you know, zero to seven and eight hundred customers in, you know, three years is yeah. phenomenal. But again, like it, it really is this idea of like, if you put people's first and you serve people, right. like I never set out to like make a ton of money from it. It's more like, hey, I just want to teach you this yeah. and provide software that helps to systematize the things that you already do that are important. Yeah. And so in the middle of that, um, you know, I just had this real kind of deep, deep, deep conviction that I needed to do something that was, you know, just crazy because mm. I have no clue how it works as a business. I don't know how to run a nonprofit either. So I'm like, it has to be a business. Right. And the conviction was, you know, how do I build software that really helps people understand the Bible better? Mm. And I was just, you know, uh, and, and so I was like, well, you know, a couple of times in my life I had to make those decisions, you know, leaving IRS, leaving KPMG. It was so hard. Mm -hmm. But it had it taught me to listen to that little voice that you hear that tells you you have to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had done it a couple of times. It doesn't happen all the time. See, but here's I, I, just a second on that voice, right? Which voice are you listening to, right? And I think that that takes that takes wisdom and that takes time to understand which voice you're listening to because a lot of times there's two, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. But this this voice is the thing that tells you to do the thing that's not logical okay mm. you know leaving the iris leaving kpmg they were things that were like this is not logical yeah mm -hmm. this is not smart yeah but you're gonna not, do it anyway screw tape right. that's trying to right. trick you <laughs> into something yeah, right. yeah. like that yeah. that thing where you're like and moving to texas was like that for us yeah. you know we really agonized over it and felt like it was something that you know our kids were starting school and right. they were growing and it was like there wasn't like a set of logical checklists that we could yeah. go through to mm. say this is why, and there yeah. were logical reasons, but it wasn't yeah, like, a logical like reason. Sunlight and like quality <laughs> of life, you know. Flat only, it only, it only rains people. thirty days a year. Yeah. I mean, it's a very logical things that were pointing you to Texas from Seattle. <laughs> there's just there's just sometimes where you hear the voice, yeah. that thing that's inside of you saying you need to do this thing, yeah. and if you try and explain mm. it, maybe you can, mm. but you just need to do it anyway, mm. and you just have to launch out and kind of figure it out along the way. And so, uh, you know, for Tome, that's what it's been like, you know, how do we launch out and figure this out along the way right. and make adjustments? And it was really like, let's just start with serving people and provide a, a product and then let's figure everything else, you know, mm -hmm. step by step. Yeah, yeah. and it's been awesome. Yeah. It has been awesome. And if you haven't listened, man, go get the Tome app, and that's T-O-M-E on, on, on any – You way. know, I, Chris, and then maybe you can answer this. I wonder, wonder if we could put out the link to your and mine and Scott's interview through, yeah. through the website – or through our Instagram, oh, yeah. social media, just a, a taste of some of the things that they're doing. Man, it was such a great conversation yeah. that you all facilitated, and it was like – Man, it was incredible. But then, but like like you said, it's it's how do we understand the Bible, true to the context, but also making sense to us that we can digest it yeah. because it seems so abstract sometimes. I think it's so much of what we've talked about today is you know there's these things that are out there that you know we're, we're struggling with, we're trying to figure out, and it's just how do I understand that through someone else's story mm. you know whether that's you know Dale Carnegie with the receptionist or whatever when you hear someone else's story and you're like ah oh, mm. okay now I get what this is <sighs> yes. saying right here yes um, and yep. that's what to me you know I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to figure it out and you know I'm like 
through sometimes through someone else's story, it helps open your eyes to, yes. oh, that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe someone is thinking, hey, you know, uh, I've been trying to get, get, get in my workplace and through Chris's story, maybe mm-hmm. I'm going to go to my boss and say, hey, how can I serve you and help you be successful? Yeah. You know, and so we sometimes just need other people to help yeah. us figure that out. And not only, not only that, but these are vulnerable stories. Like these are stories that you're just not, this, ain't, this is not cookie cutty stories that you're yeah. just going to hear. These, there, there's so much that you can learn through these processes and then people are coming in with, with passion yeah. and telling their stories. I remember going on and, and doing mine, man. And that, I don't know how many times we had to stop because <laughs> it tapped into the emotions of my life. And I started to think about, man, God was there. Even through that, even through that interview, I was saying, man, God was there way Absolutely. back then. Way back then, man. Yeah. So it was that was a really great experience, man. And it's, I and it's it. one of those things too. I think as a society, because information is so unreliable now, mm-hmm. right? So what do we do? We turn into, and, and this is what we're talking about in this book: is we turn into our own truth. Like, yes, whatever's true in our mind is what the truth must be. Because I can't trust anybody else mm-hmm. because everything else is is pushing an agenda, is is opinions, and and so. The challenge is, is now we lose out on wisdom that's out there. And how many times, and for me, and I'm just going to speak for myself and maybe, and Chris chime in, but it's like, it seems like every time I actually will dig in to the Bible or I'll dig into a book, it's like, yep. oh my goodness, like there's something that I can, well, re- they, that stuff. helps me in the moment that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's people that have experienced it. There's wisdom out there that you, that you can soak yeah. up. But we just like so like grasp onto just our ideas and our beliefs. And, and that becomes the only truth that's real when that's not the case. There's so much out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we, we can struggle to try and figure it out. And that was the big idea for this was, you know, we've, I struggled, struggled, struggled trying to figure it out. And some of that's good, yeah. but sometimes we just need someone to come along and say, you know what, I've done all the work already. Yeah. Here's what I figured out when I went through that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we call the speakers, we call them guides because they've been through something they're further along and they've come back to say, Hey, when I was in that situation, here's what I did. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just helping people through that video screen, you know, get some time just to think about, you know, what does this mean to me? Where am I going and how do I make, you know, bit of decisions. So you yeah. mentioned your wife was okay with one of the two terms. What What did you do to convince her to move to Texas? I did not. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to move to Dallas. Uh, I told her all the reasons why. Mm. And she said, thanks very much. You know, uh, I'm, we're not moving. You're not interested. Um, <laughs> Hard and, pass. Yeah. She, it was, it was, you know, it was a, a struggle for her, yeah. even, even when we, had agreed together to do it, but uh, no, we we uh, kind of went on the journey, and I just I let it let it go for three or four months, mm-hmm. and uh, one day she said, "Hey, I actually, I really think that we should pray about this," and so we spent some time praying about it, and mm. and, and she did it. And one of the things I think in marriage um, is we can, if, especially if you're a guy and you're in sales, like you can convince them of anything. Mm-hmm. You can go to your wife and say, "Honey, like I'm going to give you all the reasons why." And I think I just said, I'm not going to convince you because right. if I can convince you into it, someone else can convince you out of it. Right. Yeah. Like you have to be on board with the fact that this is the best idea for us and I'm not going to sell you. Mm. I'm just going to leave it be. So and, good. you know, yeah. if it's meant to be, then we're going to arrive at the right conclusion. And I just believe that. So yeah. and here you are. Awesome. Yeah, here you are, man. And, and 
Uh, and I know your journey, man. You've gone to new, from New Zealand. You went to California first, right? We're in California in for California, a and season. then you went to uh, uh, Seattle. Yep. And now you're here in in North in Dallas. Texas. Yeah, in Dallas. So and it's crazy. Yeah. And how many? You've been here two years in Dallas. Two years. The impact already, already right? just in this yep. community that you've made, right? Somebody. Yep. You know, it, we don't take a liking to those people from the Northwest yeah. here, here in Texas, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just the impact that, that you've made um, in such a positive way, right? Spreading, spreading the, the good news of serving people yeah. and, and the approach that you've had because you, you live it every day. Yeah. Like you take that coffee with that kid has no idea what he's trying to figure it out yep. and you go spend the time yeah. and man, it's, it's, I thank you personally, just from my own experience for, for what you've poured into me. And yeah. um, I'm yeah, sure I'm Darren saying. feels the same and, yeah. and we're just, we're excited to, to support you any way that, that we can, yeah. um, you know, whatever value we can bring, man, it's, we're your yeah. biggest fans. So yeah. I just, yeah. just wanted to, and you know, man, and I want to end this on this, you know, if you're listening, it's, it's always about consistency. Like the heart is about serving, but it's also about being a consistent server. Every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m., <laughs> we meet. And the topic goes wherever. It's not always business. It's sometimes a scripture. It's whatever, man. But, you know, I've gotten to a place in my life. It's not about the money. It's not about chasing whatever it is. It's about being around people you care about. Yep. And that's what life's about, man. Yeah. And if business comes out of it, it comes out of it. Yep. But it's it's just, you know, so those that are listening, man, just find who that person and is. And here's, here's one thing, That's, too, I've, I've, I've learned from, and, and you're the same way, mm-hmm. um, sometimes not so much, but most <laughs> of the time, is just also be like a, like a joy to be around. Like, yeah. I can't not hang out with, and he's like dropping knowledge bombs yeah. and this and, and, and wisdom here and there. But like you just find yourself just like, Man, this guy's just like really pleasant yeah. and like positive mm-hmm. and like be be that light when you walk into a room. That's right. And and yeah. you're that same way too. Yeah, Mostly man. the light is coming from your mouth and your teeth. <laughs> but but you see what I have to deal with, Chris. Uh, I gotta deal seven. with this, man. He set this one up pretty well. No, but true story hey. though. And that's that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, and it's and, and you just walk in and it's lighter because Chris he slip walks yeah. in. Look, I, you know, just maybe this is a great place to end, but I, I really believe one of the biggest things we can do is believe in people. Mm-hmm. And there were people who believed in me, you know, in some incre- crazy hard times. Mm-hmm. And when someone says, hey, I t- you know, Tyler, I really believe in you that your impact is going to be a million times what it is today. Mm-hmm. And Darren, as much as you've achieved, like mm-hmm. you're going to achieve a million times more than what you've done today. Like that's one of the most empower, empowering things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And whether that's in the workplace, whether that's your husband or wife, whether that's people around you, mm-hmm. like in the world that we're in that just beats people down, you're not where you need to be, you yeah. don't drive the right car, you look on social media, you get depressed because you don't have the right stuff. When you start saying to people like, I believe that you have an incredible future, mm. Like there's something so powerful yeah, in that, the, yeah. and I just think it's something that we don't do nearly enough. Is even just just the people around us that mm-hmm. in our everyday life, our kids, just speaking belief into them that you know they are valuable and they're gonna you know yeah. do something amazing, yeah. even if it's not starting a business, even if it's yeah. just you know if it's being a policeman or doing something mm-hmm. incredible. Yes. That yeah. like the belief that we show them and we, the trust that we place in them. It's it radically changes people, right. so I think it's a really powerful people want to be loved, man. Exactly, they want to be loved, man. 
And we, hey man, we appreciate you today. Yes. And I know we took some time out of your schedule, but really yeah, appreciate. You where can we down. find you? We're getting close. We, yeah. every time. <laughs> where can we find Tome? Where can we find Leader? Yeah, so Tome is at tomeapp.com. Uh, we have a uh, launch event coming up on the 12th of April with a whole bunch of new stuff mm-hmm. uh, that we're coming out with. Uh, leader is leadr.com. And uh, it's just about helping develop your people. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me, I'm at chrisheslip.com, uh, H-E-A-S-L-I-P. And uh, love to hear from folks and any way that we can help. Yeah, right. And so we'll help out. connect to social media. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll get your information out there, man. But thank you for your time. This was, yeah. gosh, this was amazing. It always is. Love it. Thanks, Appreciate Chris. you, brother. Yeah, awesome. Bro.